Hey, good morning. Good morning. It's the third weekend of June. It's graduation season. If that's going on in your family uh, over the course of this month, I guess it's really extended. Congratulations. Transitions are time to celebrate. So I hope your family has a great time celebrating whatever those transitions may be. Kindergarten to real school or um, college to real life, whatever it may be. Hey, uh, we're jumping back into the book of, of Genesis. Um, we're in a series called Out of the Chaos. And as we get started, we're talking about the word bless. That's the title this weekend, bless. There's a word that we use. Um, back a few years ago, I got in trouble because I, I, I used the word bless. And um, somebody sent me an email saying, you're not even from the South. You can't possibly know what we're saying when we say, bless your heart. What? All right, I'm 51 years old. Next year, I'll have spent half of my life, 26 years, living in Tennessee or south of Tennessee. So if 50% of your life you've lived in the south or further south than what you consider the south, certainly you must be able to talk about the phrase, bless your heart and what it actually means. And so um, I'm not going to do that today. I'm not looking to offend anybody, but some of you already know exactly what I'm saying. When we say to somebody, bless your heart, and it was actually from somebody from the deep south who said, hey, hey, Dave, let me tell you what that actually means. When somebody says, oh, bless her heart, mmm. <laughs> we use this word all the time, hashtag blessed, and here's what we do. Like, you see people, Instagram posts, hashtag blessed, and they're saying, guess what? Um, everything's going great in my world. I got all kinds of good stuff going on. My family's doing awesome. I'm doing awesome. Hashtag blessed. And uh, the problem is, that's not what the word actually means at all. It has nothing to do with that. But that's the way we use it in English. And so what's that have to do with this weekend? Nothing. Actually, everything has everything to do with this weekend. And so um, as we get started, we're going to go through a little bit of review about where we've been. And Two Rivers, we've been talking about that that if we're going to be a people who are word dependent, we just don't zoom in week in, week out. What's a little nugget that I take with me this week? What's it look like for us to take truth over time? And in this series, this series has been building upon an idea. And it's all about what does this reveal to me about God? When it comes to the scriptures, there's an approach that says, hey, what does this reveal to me about how to live a good life? And we're rejecting that approach because this isn't, the the scriptures are not a a moralistic book on how to be a good person. That's not what God's story is about. God's story is about how he reveals himself to you. It's about who he is and your response to him. So how do we live in response to who God is? And that means as we're we're studying the Old Testament and, and the book of Genesis, the primary thing is the question, what does this reveal about God? What does this reveal about God? And we've gone through these first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, and it, it reveals the foundation of God's story. And so far in this series, we've seen that God is better than I think he is. God is better than I think he is. And then we saw that God is better than I think he is. Because even God's judgment brings new beginnings. His judgment creates new beginnings. And God's better than I think he is because God's fully committed to us. It was in doubt. All right? God's like, okay, hey, we're going to flood the world. I'm going to start over. I'm going to take the world back to the state of chaos and begin again with a family of Noah to begin again and to start anew. But we saw in that there was no hope that humanity would actually figure it out on their own. 
There was no hope that, that people would be good on their own. In fact, he said, I, I know that they're utterly deceitful in their hearts. And then last week, we see that God's better than I think he is because he's far more other than I think he is. God's better than I think he is because he's far more other than I think he is. And, and Mark talked about the fact that, yeah, God's called us to be friends. He's called us into relationship. He's called us to be friends of God. And yet we have to hold that intention of God's per- perfect holiness. God's, this word simply means totally set apart, totally other. And we hold these two things in the middle of our relationship. That, that while Jesus, right, Jesus is a friend of mine, that's true, and at the same time, he is God in the flesh. And, and that requires a response from us. And this weekend, what we're going to see is that God intends for our happiness to be found in relationship with him. It's always been that way. From the very beginning of creation, God's intention was that people would find their happiness in him. So, all right personal hobby horse, and because it's my personal hobby horse, you're going to get it. Here we go. So we use these terms, and we've talked about before, how we use in in Christian life, we use this idea that, well, I, I don't know about happiness. I have the joy of the Lord down deep in my heart. Nobody knows it, but it's buried down there somewhere, but I don't know about happiness. And in fact, you've heard people teach about that. There's a difference between happiness and joy. In fact, I've taught it. And the problem with that is, it's just flat wrong. There's no difference, okay? Not in the original languages in the Bible, not even in English, is there a difference between joy and happiness. God has called us to be a happy people. Why? He is a happy God. And for some of you, your your mind's getting tweaked right now. You're like, what? Just substitute the word joy. It's the same word, It's the same word throughout the text. And it's like saying, what's the difference between happy and glad? And the answer is none. There's no difference. It's just some people say happy. Some people say glad. Some people say I'm experiencing joy. Some people say I'm experiencing happiness. In fact, if you allow the joy down deep in your heart to come out in your life, guess what people say? Wow, how are you happy all the time? Because I'm in right relationship with God who made me to be in relationship with him. Happiness is that feeling that comes over you when you know that life is good and you can't help but smile, okay? It's the opposite of sadness. Happiness is a sense of well-being, joy, or contentment. That's the English definition of happiness. No difference, all right? It's the expression of the relationship that we have with God. And yet, okay, there's lots of other stuff that can give us happiness, God made us to be people who enjoy his creation and the stuff that's good that people create. And so if you enjoy sports, awesome. You're supposed to enjoy that. It's supposed to make you happy. If you enjoy getting on the lake and you have a boat and you love going skiing or wakeboarding, whatever you do on the lake, and that's cool for you, that's awesome. If you enjoy riding in a convertible, good for you. Whatever. And at the same time, reminding ourselves that ultimately our happiness is in what? That we've experienced right relationship, that we were once a people under the curse of sin, but now we're people experiencing the blessing of God. What's the blessing of God? That we know him, that we're in relationship with the God who made us to be in relationship. So we're going to pick up and and really 
um, in, in the scriptures, it begins with in the beginning. That's a really important part, okay? The opening words of God's story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you want to summarize the whole first two chapters of the book of Genesis, you can do it in the first verse. In the beginning, God created. What's the point of the whole thing? God did it. And now we pick up with the second, some people call this the second creation. Now God sets apart a people for his purposes. God begins to set apart a people for his story. And so um, the book of Genesis, it, we've talked about how it's divided into really uh, 11 accounts called the generations of. Some people say 10 because there's kind of like a doubling down later on, but 11 accounts. And so we're beginning with account six. And so if you have a journal right before verse 27, you can around account six. And this account actually continues on through Genesis 25, 12, okay? Through chapter 25, this is a really long account, of the generations. And so what happens here is, is the story changes. Through the first 11 chapters, we were covering thousands of years in 11 chapters. Thousands of years. A really long time. And now the story slows down. And so picking up in verse 27, it says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Sabran's wife was, we're just going to call her Sarah. It's going to be your name throughout the rest of the book. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah and the daughter of Haran. The father of Milcah was Ishka. Now Sarah was barren. She had no child. If you write in your Bible, underline that that's going to be really important for us, but later on. Not this weekend, but it's going to, we're going to come back to that. That's a really important detail in the story. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, we've talked about how in this story, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are all about setting foundation. And along the way, we learned about, like, there, there's, there's these people who were experiencing the curse of God, and, and they were the sons of Canaan, and now we call them the Canaanites, and they are living in the land. And then the stage is set, as we saw last week, about the Tower of Babel. And in Babylon, there were these things called ziggurats. We learned about those, that they're really, they're, that we say towers, but they're really kind of like a pyramid structure. And, and it really was about allowing the God to come down to the people. And so if a, an Israelite went into Babylon and they saw these things everywhere, they had an explanation for where those came from. Out of the disobedience of people that they had toward the covenant God of the Bible, they had developed all these towers and the children of Israel weren't supposed to engage in that. And so this, the stage is set. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah's wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, 
to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Highlight, underline that verse. To your offspring, I will give this land. It's going to be important for us. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. The Negev is just to the south. It's the wilderness to the south of the land of Canaan. So as we've, we've gone through um, the book of Genesis, we talk about that God created people to, to give them meaning and significance, to give them form and function. That's what we've seen so far, that God has given a, a world order. And now the world emerges out of the chaos to a people that he has set apart. And so the question becomes, why Abram? Why this guy Abram who comes to Abraham? We're going to use those names interchangeably. And and here's the answer, right? Because. What? Because. Why Abram? Because. Because God chose Abraham. There was nothing special about the line he was from. There was nothing special about him in particular. In fact, Terah was a pagan um, for, for some way that, that God had somehow moved Terah to begin this journey. And now he calls Abram to continue the journey. But God sets apart people for his purposes. It's, it's just a general truth about God. God sets apart people for his purposes purposes. And we have a deep-seated human condition that asks the question, why? And it goes back to the days when we were on the playground and we didn't get picked. We got picked last. Why me? Why am I? I can kick the ball. Kick ball. I can kick it really good. Why was I not picked first? Why was I picked last? God, why do you allow that person to prosper? The psalmist talks about that, right? Why do you allow that person to prosper? They're evil, terrible people, and yet they're prospering. And why do I seem to suffer so bad? Because. We hate that about God. In fact, if anybody says this is why, we, we can't possibly know that. Why? To know the why is to know the mind of God. And guess what? We can never know the mind of God. God reveals to us who he is. But to understand why God does what why God does, that's beyond us. Those are the secret things of God. And so God sets apart people for his purpose. Why? Because it's what he does. And this is still true for us today. God sets apart people for for his purposes. And, And we have general purposes that we as followers of Jesus are set apart for. But we all play a different role in the story. We all have a different part to play. It's not about significance. It's about the part that Jesus has called us to play. And so when we think about why God does what he does, sometimes we just have to get really comfortable with the idea of because. It's God. And God gets to do what God wants to do. And so God has set apart a man in order that he may set apart a people. We see this unfolding in God's story. And so the the major theme that emerges here is that God's people would be a people of blessing. This is a huge concept for us. 
the idea of being a people who bless others. So it's really important that we would understand what that word means as opposed to, hey, hashtag bless, everything's going awesome. Whoa, maybe it means something other than that because it actually means something other than that. And so um, let's take a look at this. So for us, blessing or being blessed, it's, it's been most frequently thought of, even throughout history, it's thought of the benefits that are conveyed through, through the blessing. In other words, what do I get out of the deal? It's been associated with prosperity, power, um, back in the day, especially with fertility, like if I have God's favor. But over time, really scholars have said, wow, that's actually missing the point of what God's communicating. And so this is actually not like a super evangelical um, book that I'm going to quote. And so when the, the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary is saying that the point of God's blessing is relationship, we as evangelicals should pay attention. Because why? Because liberal sources don't talk about relationship, all right? And so when it says that the primary factor of blessing is in the statement of relationship between parties, God blesses with a benefit on the basis of the relationship, we should pay attention. God's blessing is all about relationship with the God who made you to be in relationship. The fact that we know the God of order, we know the God of of bringing all things together, we know the God of blessing. So the question comes, can we bless God? Can we bless God? And the answer is, yep, we can, right? How do we bless God? When, When we as people, if somebody says, God, I bless you, what are we actually saying? We're saying, God, I praise you, God, I worship you. Our blessing to God is, is what? It's called worship, okay? And, and yes, in song, I'm not saying it's less than song, but it's way more than that. In other words, it's our response to God's revelation. God shows us something and we respond. And so as we think about, I'm going to work on Monday morning, you wake up and as you walk into work, you say, God, I bless you as I go into my workplace today. What are you saying? God, I praise you and I will live today under response to your revelation about who you are. And in my actions today, as I step into my workplace, I will worship you because I bless you. That's what we're actually saying. God, I bless you as I walk into my school. God, I I bless you in in my family. In other words, what? God, that I'll live in response to who you are within my family. God, as as I walk into this hospital to visit my loved one, God, as I walk into this visitation as we celebrate the life of somebody we loved, God, I bless you, what? That I will live in response to who you are. So when you say, God, we bless you, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a worship declaration that we will live in response to, to the relationship that he's called us into, and we will live under his authority. Can we bless people? And the answer is, yeah, the slide already gave it away. Yes, we can bless people. What's it look like for us to bless people? Now, this is different. What we're saying is, if we bless another person, that they would experience God's favor. In the New Testament, we call it God's grace, that they would experience the fullness of relationship that God has for them. And so if you say, God bless you, that's just not something we say after somebody sneezes so that they don't get spirits or whatever the origin of that was, kooky. You can look it up, Google it later. Anyway... The point is that they would experience the fullness of the blessing of God who's called them to be in relationship. You see, the the foundational principle in, in the Hebrew Bible is that we would be a people who live at peace with God. 
And so this week, man, I really debated. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm just going to tell you flat out, okay? I avoid the use of original words because of why. Why do I avoid Hebrew words? Why do I avoid Greek words? There's a reason, and you got to know, because people think that we know the Hebrew word that's depth. And that is not depth, okay? That's just knowing more information. And so I reluctantly use this word, okay? I often just translate the words, but this one's really important, okay? Because there's not a great English word for it, just not. It's a concept that we have to really understand because God's story is all about us experiencing the peace that that we would understand in a greater kind of way than just understanding the word peace. The word shalom. The word means that we, would, uh, that we would live in completeness. We would live in soundness. We would uh, experience God's welfare, his peace. And the peace that it's talking about here is not just the absence of conflict. Yes, it is the absence of conflict, but it's the sense of well-being in knowing that you know the God of the universe who made you to be in relationship. And it's the New Testament concept of what shall man do to me? As Paul often says, what are they going to do? Kill me? I win. If I die, I win. I say it all the time. If I die, I win. The rest of the time, Paul's like, I got to stick around with you. You guys are a pain, but I got to stick around with you. I want to go be with Jesus, but until then, I'm with you. That's the concept, that we would have such a harmonious relationship with God that what? Our happiness can't help but come out. Why? Because we're in relationship. We're experiencing the blessing of God. What is it? It's relationship with God who made you to be in relationship. It's what God made us for. Now, unfortunately, the Old Testament is not a story of triumph, okay? It, the rest of God's story is it continues on from Genesis. Man, it's a struggle. There's some victories along the way. But throughout the scriptures, we see that people just continue to fail and fail. And the story of the Old Testament is that there's a persistent problem of sin that remains, in the New Testament, we see as we read the scriptures through the New Testament into the, into the Old Testament, as we look through the lens of the gospel into all of God's story, we see something really cool. How does the New Testament look back at this promise to Abraham, this idea of blessing? Well, Paul, he's a good guy. He, he wrote a letter to the church in Galatia, and, and we're going to interpret this through the lens that he does. In in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, he wrote that the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Guess what? Here, from the very beginning of God's people, he's already got a plan that through Jesus, that all the people groups on the face of the earth, all the people groups on the face of the earth would experience God's favor through Jesus. It's already here at the very beginning. And and then he goes on in chapter 3 to say, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. You underline that verse. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. 
So when we say that Abraham, when he says, and to your offspring, he's talking about Jesus, it's because the New Testament does, because Paul does, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the person that's being referred to there, it's not all people, it's not all your offspring. No, there's one offspring. He's coming in the future. The word offspring is also your seed. The person who's coming in the future, he has a name, and his name is Jesus. That through him, that through him, the world is going to experience blessing. And then finishing up in verses 26 and 29 in Galatians 3, it says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to promise. If, if you want to know why, you can go back and you can be like, this is such an important part of God's story. It's because this promise made to Abraham is a promise that you're experiencing. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. That you can say, guess what? Who's the founder of the Christian faith? Jesus, technically, right? Because before that, it wasn't called Christian faith. But, but the God of the Bible, the founder of the faith, right? The first one is a guy by the name of Abraham. I'm so grateful for Abraham and the God of because. Without him, right? Without this promise, we don't experience God's blessing. Christians, then, were the fulfillment of this covenant God made with Abraham. God has revealed himself to people, right? He's revealed himself. He's shown us his blessing. Why? That we would be people who demonstrate his favor to other people. Like we have so much. I know I talk about it all the time. We have so much to be hope-filled about. We have so much to be excited about. We have so much that, that we can encourage others with. It's the reason over the past couple of years, it's just like on my last nerve, this idea of angry Christians, pointing everything that's wrong with the world. Guess what? Yeah, the world is under the curse of sin. Guess what? It's broken and a mess. Get over that and get on with the mission of Jesus, which is what? To be dispensers of God's grace, that people would experience hope, people would experience joy, people would experience the happiness that we have in Christ. And the problem is some of us aren't very happy in Jesus. That's the problem. And we have to look at the mirror and go, wait, what's going on? You see, one of God's purposes is for people to experience his favor through people. That people would experience the favor of God through people. So um, my first job in vocational ministry was, uh, I was called the evangelism minister. The evangelism minister. And, and my job was to train we did uh, church visitation we, to train people in evangelism techniques. And, and, and during that time, um, man, I, I was on fire for Jesus, but, but it was all about training people to, to witness, right? To, 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 to present the gospel and lead towards a response. And, and here was the thing. That seems like a really great thing on the surface, but one of the things that I've discovered, and especially looking back is, is it really wasn't about ex people experiencing the blessing of God. It's about getting that person to make a decision so that we would have another person who made a decision. And so as we're talking about people experiencing the blessing of God, are we talking about personal evangelism? Yeah, but it's far more than that. It's about people experiencing 
the blessing of God. And so Two Rivers, it's the reason we talk about the three by five. Are there three to five people that you're praying for that they would what? That they would come to know Jesus personally. But what we're talking about isn't just that they would make a decision and then that they would move on. No, that they would be people who experience God's blessing. The concepts of blessing and curse are central to us understanding God's story. And and in my experience, I've discovered in, in Christian life that there's really a disconnect in our understanding. We think about curse. We think it's kind of like a magic spell that's been put on a person. That, that is maybe curse in, in the days in which we live, but that has nothing to do with the idea of a biblical curse. When we think about blessing, it's just the good stuff has nothing to do. It has something to do with good stuff, but, but it's part of God's story that people would experience the life-giving power of God. And so this week, a video found me. I wasn't looking for a video, but it found me. And in this video, it's from a group called The Bible Project. And you've heard me say that, that there's some resources out there on the internet that you should avoid. In fact, one of them, if there's resources out there that, that are linking genealogies to time frames. In other words, if you have a resource that's saying that Noah was still alive in the days of Abraham, shut that bad boy and put it away, in my opinion. Okay? It's no longer a, a credible resource. Okay? That's just not the way the scriptures were intended to be understood in my point of view. But there's some great resources out there. And so when you put away that resource, go to the Bible Project. (laughs) It's a great resource. And so in that, this week, I saw this video and it talks about the idea of of blessing and curse from the beginning of God's story until the end. And so um, I didn't want to just give it to you as homework. I I thought the concept was too important that you would just watch it sometime this week, although I think you're going to want to watch it this week. And so if you just go to the Bible Project, um, it's on their their front page, okay? And this video is going to explain to us the concept of blessing and curse so we would understand that it's, it's more than just the, the, the blessing of God is the good stuff that happens in my life and the curse is a magical potion that I drank or something, right? It's far more than that. So let's watch this video together. The story of the Bible begins with God bringing life out of darkness, ordering our beautiful world, and then blessing all of its creatures. Hold on, blessing. That's one of those funny religious words. Yeah, right. People say a blessing over their meal or after they sneeze. Or just a general way to say that things are going well for me. But in the Bible, a blessing is more specific. The first blessing in the Bible is when God creates animals and he blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the land. Ah, so God's blessing is about flourishing and multiplication of life. Right. It's when God shares his life-producing ability with others. Next, God gives humans an additional blessing that sets them apart from the animals. Not only are we one of God's creatures that can generate new life, we've also been appointed as God's representative image to rule and oversee this whole flourishing world on God's behalf. So part of our blessing is to take care of God's blessing for all creation. And God wants us to rule while trusting in his abundance, to eat from the tree of blessing, that is the tree of God's own eternal life. Now there is another tree to eat from. Yes, and it represents this decision to try and seize abundance and life on our own terms by our own wisdom. The humans encounter a deceptive creature who tricks them into eating from this other tree, thinking it's a shortcut to blessing. And instead of blessing, this tree brings a curse. A curse? You mean like a magic spell? No, in the Bible, the curse is when God hands people over to the consequences of seizing our own blessing on our own terms. 
It's a curse because instead of abundance and life, we end up with scarcity, isolation, and death. So God curses the ground, and instead of fruitfulness, there will be famine. Instead of overseeing the world, they will have to work the land until they die. Man. But God also curses that deceptive creature that fooled the humans, saying that a human will come one day to destroy it. And that human will be born into a world of scarcity where men and women and families and tribes are all locked in violent conflict. If God's blessing is now covered with a curse, how can we flourish? Even more, how can we rule with God? Well, here the biblical story takes an interesting turn. God chooses one couple, Abraham and Sarah, and God blesses them and says they will become a huge family. Be fruitful and multiply. And there's more. God says that his blessing on Abraham and his family is for this larger purpose, so that through them, God's blessing can go out to all of the nations. So God's plan is to reverse the curse and restore the blessing by first blessing this one family. Right. And this family does experience God's blessing. Even when they journey through times of danger and scarcity, they grow into this huge nation, Israel. And God brings them to a mountain and invites them to be his representatives. Yes, God will bless Israel so that they can become a blessing to the nations. All they have to do is trust and live by God's wisdom. And they're told that this is a choice between life and death, between blessing and curse. Now keep reading because the Israelites almost never trust God for his blessing. Their story is filled with tales of deception, violent grabs for power, resulting in the ultimate curse exile from their land and slavery to foreign nations. But Israel's prophets who lived through all of this, they still trusted in God's promise to Abraham. And they anticipated a future Israelite who would come to restore God's blessing and reverse the curse for Israel and for all the nations. When we turn to the story of Jesus, we find Israel still experiencing the curse, living as slaves to the Roman Empire. But Jesus, he so trusted in God's blessing, he claimed that it was arriving in a new way through himself. He wanted his followers to trust in God's abundance, to share and be generous. And he even taught his followers to bless people who curse them. Jesus would even reverse the curse by healing and restoring people's bodies. God's blessing is being unleashed. Jesus also confronted his fellow Israelites who were in power, and he accused them of getting in the way of God's plan to bless Israel and the nations through them. Those leaders arrest Jesus so they could have him killed. And instead of fighting back, Jesus believed that he was that chosen Israelite who would face the curse that Israel and all humanity deserves, and he would allow the curse to fall on him. Jesus dies the shameful death of a man under the curse. But just as God brought life and blessing out of darkness in the beginning, so here through Jesus, God reverses death by raising Jesus. The curse is put to death so that the blessing of God's life can spread out once again. After his resurrection, Jesus blessed his followers, and he said that his presence would be with them as they learned to trust in God's blessing and share with others. And while death and the curse still have a hold on our world, followers of Jesus trust that the power of God's blessing is even stronger. It means we can live with extreme generosity, even when it seems like there's not enough. And that leads us to the conclusion of the biblical story, where every nation is enjoying the gifts of God's abundance, because in God's new world that is sustained by the life-giving power of Jesus, there is no longer any curse. 
That's our good news story. For those who have life in Christ, there is no longer any curse. It, guess what? It puts a smile on our face. Right now, you should be smiling. Like, folks, there's no better news you could ever hear that if you have new life in Christ, there's no curse. Yeah, are we living in a world that's still suffering under it? Yes. Is it still hard? Sure. But guess what? Our story is to be a people who dispense the grace that God has given to us to others. What? That they would experience the full favor of God. They'd experience the full favor of God. And so as we talk about next steps this week, we have to remember that God intends for our happiness to be found in relationship with him. That's the source and we experience in all other kinds of things in life, in our family, and going to do fun stuff, getting to watch sports, getting to do whatever hobby that you love. Yeah, we get to experience some good stuff in that. But ultimately, we know that we're at peace with God. We're in a relationship where we're living in harmony with the God who made us to be in relationship with him. And that allows us to be dispensers of the grace. One of the things I love about that video is the, it, it represents the idea of the economy of God, that there's not a limit to the amount of grace to be dispensed. There's not a limit to the amount of God's favor for you to give to another person. It's not like um, money, like if I give it away, I don't have any more. It's an unlimited resource. That God's grace as we dispense into the lives of others is unlimited. And so as we step into this week, as we think about next, next steps, the question is, which people do I bless? Which people do I bless? Do I, do I bless the people who, who know Jesus? Or do I bless, bless the people who don't know Jesus? And, and sometimes in the church world, we think like there's this divide between people who know Jesus and don't know Jesus. Like, like okay, well, you know what? It's really about the people who don't know Jesus. The people who know Jesus. No. Who's it about? People. Which people? All people. So which people are we called to bless? People who know Jesus and people who don't know Jesus. Bless those people. And so as you think about this week, as you think about the tangible way, as I walk into Monday and go, okay, what, which people do I bless? If, you've, if you have a three by five, you already have a list of three to five people. And now it's not just how can I pray for them, but, but how now can I take one of those people and God, what's it look like for me to put a tangible blessing to one of those people in my three by five? Whatever that may be, I, I give them a call, I, I send them a text, I invite them to lunch, whatever that may be. We invite them to our house for a barbecue, whatever it may be. Memorial Day is coming up. What a great weekend to dispense the blessing of God. People who know Jesus. Where do you see people living out God's story well? Where do you see people engaged? Guess what? You can, you can pray for them and you can even encourage them that you see God's favor being dispensed through them. It's what we're called to be, people who are dispensing the grace of God into the lives of people who know Jesus and people who don't know Jesus. And if we think it's a choice between the two, we're, we're kidding ourselves. It's both. It's not less than both. So what's our response? Our response is to bless God. God reveals and we bless God in response to the fact that we've received the blessing of God. We call it worship, okay? Is worship singing a song? Yeah. Really what we're talking about is preparing ourselves to walk into this week living out a life of worship. 
God reveals, we respond. God reveals, we respond. We bless God, how? In an act of worship as we do what he says. But in this moment, a way that we can worship God is by declaring his praise. And so I'm gonna invite wherever you are, whatever venue you're in, jump to your feet, okay, jump to your feet, okay? We're happy people, let's pretend like it. All right, <laughs> just kidding. We're happy people, and I want to read this song over you. Uh, This is a central tenet to the faith, right? Even before Jesus was born, the people who knew the God of the Scriptures, the idea that we would be a people dispensing the blessing of God is central. Psalm 67 is all about it. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. That's our story. That's the God we get to worship. And so... um, what I want to do is I want to pray a blessing over you. Whether you're online or any other venue, I want to pray a blessing over you as we declare God's praise and then walk into a week dispensing his grace into the lives of others. Father, I pray for Two Rivers Church. God, for each person that, that as we walk into this week, I pray that you would bless them and keep them. You would make your face to shine upon them. God, that, that you would allow them to be dispensers of your grace and for your glory, that they would win the week for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's worship.